Welcome to our first ever deep dive episode, brought to you from the same guys who brought you Dinner for Dessert, the greatest podcast in all of the world. All of the land. Dinner for Dessert, our flagship show. If you haven't listened to it, go listen. It'll make you happy, mostly in the crotch region. Only in the crotch region. (laughs) Only. But today, on our kickoff episode of DFD Deep Dives, we're going to talk about a great movie, a cult classic that came out in 1987. It bombed in the box office, did terrible. There's a couple of reasons why, and we're going to get into that. But after bombing in the box office, it picked up incredible steam on VHS and then probably on DVD after that and um, became a cult classic. That movie is called The Monster Squad. Here's where I would hit like a creepy like thunder sound or like some sort of frightening sound, but we don't have anything. Yeah, we need a soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is our first time ever doing a deep dive. We have no idea what we're about to do. So we're going to try this out and we're going to learn and you guys are going to give us feedback on how to do this better. But we're really excited about doing these deep dives and we're really excited to really focus on uh, the TV shows, movies that we love um, and have deep you know, enthusiasm for. And, and you know, we hope you share that enthusiasm with us. And we just want to try and bring some, some things about these movies and TV shows and songs that you may not have known before listening to us. You want to try and give you some, some inside scoops that maybe the public wasn't made aware of when these, when these went down. We're going to make you the most interesting people ever at a cocktail party. That's how we're going to roll. And I'm excited. Me too. So The Monster Squad. What a movie. Came out 1987. I am six years old. You're five. Yep. Jones is six as well. So that's the time in a child's life where a movie or a TV show like really becomes part of them. Right? You, yeah, you internalize the plot and the characters and you don't even mean to do it, but when you're that young, you're so impressionable that you start picking up traits from them. Monster Squad is the kind of movie where um, people started kind of absorbing the personas of these characters into their actual real lives. Um, for those who don't know what this movie's about, it's essentially about this group of kids, you know, middle school age kids who are obsessed with monsters. They have a group, they have like a little club called the Monster Squad. They hang out in a treehouse and they just talk about monsters and who the best monsters are and who would beat who and whatever. And um, as you could probably imagine, like any good um, uh, uh, movie plot, real monsters show up and all the all the the all-star cast of all the of all the monsters you got dracula you got frankenstein you got uh wolfman so you got a werewolf you got the that weird creature from the you know he's basically a creature from the black lagoon but they don't they didn't want to get sued so they so call the, him gilman i think the whole thing with all the monsters was they had to change certain aspects of them because they didn't have any licensing to use like the real Frankenstein or the real creature from the Black Lagoon. So they had to call him Gilman and they had to use, they had to put Frankenstein's bolts. They had to move them from his neck to his forehead. 
which is wild, right? Like those little things, but that's how they got around getting sued. This is a, a, a movie. I mean, for the filmmakers at the time, they had a decent budget, but for all intents and purposes, this is a low budget production, you know, compared to the other stuff that's coming out. Eric, let me tell you the movies that they were up against in the box office because they never stood a chance with this, with this movie that is definitely like a genre bending, hard to market movie. It's not really a horror movie. It's not really a family movie, even though there's kids in it. Yeah, it's not really a comedy. Maybe it's like, it's almost like Stand By, Stand by Me with Monsters and not as, not as deep. You know what I mean? And a little action. Yeah, it's like a coming-of-age story. Like, listen to us trying to explain it. It shows why it was impossible to, to, to market it. Like, who, are you marketing it to adults? Are you marketing it to kids? Who's going to the movie theater watching? And the studio had, had no clue how to market it. And they botched the marketing because they tried to make it seem like it was kind of family-friendly, but had to warn people in the trailer, like, yeah, there are some adult themes in here. There is some cursing. There's some, you know violence and stuff like that and the opening like six minutes of the movie is it's like horror yeah it start it comes out strong like now listen to the movies that are in the theaters at the same time right la bamba the richie valens story that is a huge oh, yeah. movie right the lost boys which is the biggest cult classic of all cult classics from the 80s they're now up against the Lost Boys. RoboCop. Like, the original RoboCop was in the theaters at the same time. Now, that is a big-budget movie that's got, you know, a lot of marketing push behind it. Absolutely. And you, and you also have Lost Boys, which have, has the Corys in it. It's got the Corys so who that, are at the top of their game. That, at, that alone point. makes that movie beyond its budget. Yeah, they got the Corys, they got um, Kiefer Sutherland, they have such much bigger you know, stars in that, right? You got Summer School, remember that classic? Great flick. Uh, we still talk about, we still use the, the my zipper got stuck yeah. excuse. <laughs> For those who don't know, there's a guy who like goes to the bathroom in the beginning of the movie and you forget that he was a a student in the movie and then at the end he shows up he like aces the test of summer school and they're like where have you been this whole time he's like my zipper got stuck <laughs> um you got full metal jacket yeah full wow. friggin metal that's stanley kubrick that's like the top director in at that time has a movie out you got beverly hill hills cop 2 which the first one was a mega hit, so the, the sequel's gonna bring a lot of people to the, to the theaters. You got Disorderlies with the Fat Boys. So good. Which is where Eric gets his inspiration for the, <laughs> the yeah, from, <laughs> from the feedback loop. Um, you got Adventures in Babysitting. Great flick. Dirty Dancing. Not Havana Nights. Yeah, the first Dirty Dancing. You got Who's That Girl starring Madonna. Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. So good. Spaceballs. Oh my God. This is all in 87? All in August of 87. Wow. This is what the Monster Squad had to compete against. And by the way, I'm reading, like I'm skipping 
this list, <laughs> I didn't even read to you what was actually the number one and number two in the box office at that time. It was a movie called The Living Daylights that I've never heard of was number one, and Jones had to tell me off the air it was a James Bond movie that I've never heard of. Yeah, I didn't know either. And number two was Stakeout. Nick Nolte? I think so. Emilio Estevez? No, Emilio Estevez. Yeah, wasn't that 48 Hours? Yes, it was. Stakeout is Emilio Estevez and... Um, Richard Dreyfus. That sounds right. Someone will correct us, I'm sure. Um, so this movie is doomed to fail. Bad marketing, um, really hard to explain genre, so you don't know who, who's going to watch it. And you're, and you're going up against the heaviest of heavy hitter movies at that time. So it bombed. It made $3.8 million in the box office. That is bad. And it That's, cost about $12 million to make. That is a, like epic bomb. Now, $12 million is a pretty low budget, um, but they, couldn't, they didn't come close to recouping their, <laughs> their expenses on this one, um, at least in the theater. So it bombs. But then somehow... So before we jump, yeah. before we jump to the resurgence... This movie was written by Shane Black and Fred Decker, directed by Fred Decker. Shane Black, if you're not familiar, uh, he also wrote Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, 3, and 4. He wrote The Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero, Long Kiss Goodnight, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which we love. I love that movie. And Iron Man 3, right? Which he also directed, and he directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as well. So this movie did have some talented writers. And... Fred Decker, a little fun fact, wrote If Looks Could Kill with Richard Grieco. Oh, my God. Which was another, uh, I guess, our age enjoyed classic that didn't really get the longevity of a Monster Squad. No. No. Now, this this Fred Decker guy, Monster Squad's um, poor box office performance basically tanked his career. Like, this man, basically, he was... The crazy thing is, like, he had just done another uh, movie. I forgot what it was called. I should have brought that down the notes. But he did this other movie that was getting a lot of hype. And before it went into the was theaters, it house, it was like Night of the Creeps or something. It was like a horror movie. It was another horror movie. And he was like starting to build some momentum as a director and. Uh, because of the um, enthusiasm and expectations for this movie he was about to release, he was able to get Monster Squad greenlit easily. But the problem, the funny thing is, the second, um, like right after he got Monster Squad greenlit, his other movie came out and it also bombed. So he like he like snuck he snuck in, you know he like he beat the system, but. After Monster Squad bombed, he pretty much was done. And then he did RoboCop 3, which was a, was, was a piece of crap. So that pretty much ended his career, um, unfortunately. But after it bombs, it picks up steam hardcore on VHS. And it becomes like a staple of a lot of, you know, middle school aged kids' lives and, and younger myself included eric included i mean i watch this movie on vhs all the time and when you're a little kid you don't know about box office numbers you don't know it doesn't matter you don't care like i didn't know it wasn't a big movie i thought it was a 
the biggest movie ever because I watched yeah. it 150 freaking times. We got so inspired by it um, when I was uh, when I was a kid that we used to go to a random church near our house and we would sneak in and steal holy water and we'd fill up all our stuff with holy water. We would um, like drive around, ride around on our bikes with like sharpened wood to like have stakes and stuff like that. Like we thought we were the monster squad. This movie made you want to be a part of the squad. Yeah. And uh, one of the, one of my favorite cast, uh, you know, characters in the movie in a lot of people's favorite character is uh, uh, the character Rudy. He's played by Ryan Lambert. And Rudy is the cool kid. He's the, a little bit older. He's the coolest kid I had ever seen on a, on anything in 1987. That he's probably 14, and the and all the kid, the other kids are probably 13, 12. Yeah, I feel like the the original crew was like at their last years of elementary school. Rudy was middle school. Yeah. Now Rudy rocks a you know he dresses kind of like a 1950s greaser a little bit. You know, he's got the jeans. He's got the black leather jacket. He's got his like hair is like black and not slicked back, but like he's got that like, you know, he definitely has got product in his hair. He lights his cigarettes. He lights the match off his foot, like the bottom of his shoe, like, so like classic smoking cigarettes at 14 years old on his bike. And he's introduced into the movie um, protecting um, another amazing character, Horace. Rippity dippity. Yeah, so Horace was played by a, uh, an actor named Brent Shalom. Mm -hmm. Now, Brent Shalom unfortunately passed away at the age of 22 from pneumonia in Vegas. Now, I have lots of questions. I, I deep-dived through the internet to figure out how you get pneumonia in Las Vegas at 22 years old, but my guess is it wasn't natural causes, but who knows. But now, Brent Shalom plays this character, Horace. Now, he's back in that time period, um, the fat kid was always like the you know you know picked on bullied kind of a, a a wimp right that was the trope and you know uh the three of us were all fat kids so you know we always you know have a chip on our shoulder about you know the the horace characters always getting messed with but um he's introduced so Horace is getting picked on by these kids and one of the kids that's the bullying bullying him is the older brother from wonder years and uh, he uh, he's making him, you know, he's he's he's, you know, torturing him and embarrassing him in front of everyone. And then Rudy shows up on his bike, lights a cigarette, and puts these two bullies in their place. And that's how you introduce Frank, one of the greatest characters of uh, movie history. Absolutely, you want this dude to resonate with all the kids that are picked on across the universe. Like he's the defender. Like every Horace needs a Rudy in their lives. So fun fact about Rudy: when the first time he actually met the director on set he he bummed a smoke he asked him for a cigarette that's amazing he's 15 years old walking in to film this after years of being on kids incorporated which is where he got like heartthrob fame from yeah. and he asked for a cigarette that's amazing and, he, and the director just gave it to him and he sat there and he smoked it and that was the beginning of him being in the movie dude ryan lambert man freaking og legend right there <laughs> super og legend so there's a there's a younger kid in the movie named Eugene. He's like younger and smaller than the rest of them. I saw his name was Michael Faustino, so I had to do a little deep dive into that. And he is David Faustino's little brother. So I didn't know this. That's mind blowing. Eugene plays like the little brother. He's like the much younger than everyone else. He's probably like maybe seven. 
seven, yeah, cause, six or seven. So the younger sister's five, and he was a little older than her. Yeah, so he's probably seven or eight. Uh, Eugene is, he's like the moral compass of the crew. He's like the innocent, right? And so is Phoebe, the the the, the little sister. Um, he's, in real life, Bud Bundy's little brother. It's amazing. Bud it's Bundy, a- who uh, a friend of ours, Rich D, got you a cameo of for your birthday a couple years ago. Yep. If you don't know what that is, a cameo is when you could hire a celebrity to do a personalized like video message. So I got a personalized video message from Bud Bundy, David Faustino, uh, one of the best birthday presents I've ever gotten. So thank you, Rich. Top tier. And he like talks back to me and stuff, but he also talked about the podcast. He's like, you got this podcast, Dinner for Dessert. I heard you're the worst one on it. I was like, wow. All right, that stings a little bit. Um, so, yeah, Eugene. All right, so now um, one of the fun facts that I found up about this movie that was mind-blowing, the head monster, the head bad guy in the movie is like the Dracula character. I guess they can't call him Dracula. Do they call him Dracula? They call him Dracula. Okay, maybe that's not licensed, so they were fine with that. But... um the person up for the part who was like in the lead for the part was a relative unknown actor at the time who has since become a megastar, Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson loses out to who they actually get because the guy they get, what's his name? No clue. Duncan Rhaegar. First off, that name sounds like it would be Dracula's real name. Duncan Rhaegar is the most naturally evil looking human beings I've ever seen in my life. Like he looks like a bad person, like instantly. He's menacing. His face is just menacing. He's got that like Eastern European, like he could play like every Soviet soldier in a in yes. a in an eighties like, you know, you know, uh movie. It's he's just He's like the perfect person to play this part. So he actually wins the part over Liam Neeson. Imagine how different the movie would have been if Liam Neeson was in it. I think it would have been worse. It would have been worse, but it would have been a very strange casting for... for, for so I read, I read something that in uh, 2006, a magazine called Wizard put out a top 100 villains of all time. And number 30 on that list was Dracula from the Monster Squad. Wow. How crazy is that? And um, they say it was Duncan Rhaegar's performance in this film. He was chosen over all the other versions of the character because it's still considered to be one of the absolute best interpretations of Dracula in yes. a film. Yes. How wild is that? And deservedly so. Yes. Like the way he plays Dracula is perfect. He's, he's menacing, but he's really smart. Like he, he seems like he's one step ahead of everybody. And he seems, he's got this look in his eyes throughout the movie where it's like, it's the I know something you don't know look where it's like, you th- like I got you. Like you think that you, you have a plan, you don't have a plan. I got you. So he says in the documentary that I watched, he says there was a, he never wore his red contacts or his fangs around Phoebe who was five years old while filming this movie. And he never wanted to like scare her or intimidate her in any way. There was one scene at the end of the movie where like he lifts her up by the, the chin. Yes. It looks like he's lifting her up one hand. So she's standing on a platform, obviously, and he's telling her, like, you're going to have to scream. And she's like, okay, when? And he's like, you'll know. 
and he said the actor is telling the actor like off like not he's letting her know because they were all like very nice to this little girl like they never wanted to scare her with the monster stuff yeah the director says like yeah you're this in this scene you're, we, we need you to scream uh, and she and they but they don't tell her why or when and it was all one take and as he's lifting her up he opens his eyes and his mouth and hisses at her and he has the red contacts and fangs and, and that's the first time she had seen it and the scream she lets out in that moment is actually hard being so afraid and they never took another take like that was just it they kept it in the movie yeah it was a real like visceral reaction um and if you see the scene you understand why like like the fact that he hisses at her is just so unexpected and perfect like he's not trying to be like super super scary he's just like that's just he's dracula and then as soon as the scene was cut like they took it all out and he like was calmed her down and it was over and everything was good She's been in therapy ever since. She talks about it too, like to this day. And she's like, it was legitimately frightening for me because I had never seen him look like that. Yeah, it's wild. Um, the uh, the cast, the, the bully, by the way, I just want to call out his name. It, the actor is Jason Harvey. He was from the Wonder Years. Do you remember him? Oh, I do. Jason Hervey. Hervey. Was um, Fred Savage's older brother in the Wonder Years. Yep, he plays one of the bullies. So that's a, that's a that's if if you ever watch this movie for the first time, that'll be the only probably the only face that you'll be like, oh, I know who that is. I've seen that guy. Like I, that's yeah. a face you don't forget. He's the only person who probably has like um, recognition power in this whole movie, which is which is crazy. Like these these are I mean maybe Ryan Lambert because he's been around for a while. But all right, so Jones, I'm going over to you because I know you've never seen this movie up until two days ago. So you you watch it with fresh eyes. What was your impression of the movie as a, you know, early 40s person in 2023 watching a, I don't even know what genre movie from 1987? What was it like for you? Yeah, so I have to watch that. And I do that with a lot of things where, especially from the past, I'll watch it as I'm watching it now. But I also keep in mind that this is not what you guys watched, right? What you guys watched was on a VHS on an older TV at a much younger age, right? So I'm trying to remember what happened at the time because I can't compare it to like a modern movie. It's not a modern movie. I have to compare it to what things were like back then, what it was probably like to watch. Like even my experience today, I watched it earlier today. So even my experience earlier today was like, I'm watching a 4K widescreen version of this for the first time, right? Your guy's first time was certainly on a VHS tape. Right and warped because we watched it so much. Yeah. So it's like, yep. yeah, yeah. So like, I th- I think my experience was a little little different, but I can't believe that I've never seen this movie. It was awesome, totally awesome. Like the the jokes all hit, the plot is there. There's nothing in the movie that didn't make sense. The special effects are really good, like especially for the time. Like some of those special, there was that one scene towards the end of the movie where the Wolfman explodes. I'm yeah, like, it was good. It was good. That was like a, like a holy s moment for me. I was like, what? Like, I'm also remembering this as like you guys watched this as young kids, right? Yes. And I can't be, like I'm not, I'm not sure that some of this stuff, if it got remade today, would still be in the movie. It was definitely not appropriate for little kids. No, but was made like that's why it was so hard to market. The did you do you remember did you um what were your thoughts on the scene where um 
Dracula, you know how you know Dracula can transform into a bat and back and forth. Yeah. And in one of the scenes, he gets basically shot while like mid transform transformation by one of the cops, and gets stuck mid transition. And he's like laying on the floor like half human, half bat. It's so frightening. It's so disturbing. It's like such a like a vivid memory in my in my brain from a little kid being like, ugh. That's 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 messed up. Yeah, there's a scene earlier in the movie where one of the kids was like, "There's a there's a a monster in my closet," and the dad walks in, and he's like, "There's no monster in here, go away!" And but like never turns around to see that the mummy's actually in the closet. He opens the door to check the closet and doesn't actually look, but the mummy really is there. That's Eugene's room, by the way. That's you, the the, the little guy. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like it's it's funny in my head because I'm like, this dad must be our age, but this guy looks like he's 500. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, I don't know what age the character was supposed to be. Like, I still look at that guy and I go, oh, that's a dad. Yeah. Yeah. But he was probably my age. That's what I, dude, to that point, I can't reconcile like that we're in our 40s because I, I, when I think of like a dad, I I don't see like me in the mirror. No, I know. Same. Right. And like, (laughs) it's a random tangent, but uh, family matters. You know, um, Carl Winslow character was 29 playing that part. It's nuts. 29. He was 11 years younger than me. And he was like a dad. A dad dad. Like a mustache and bald spot and dad looking, you know. and Like the dad in this movie, like probably was playing a 25 year old. You know, Stephen mocked yeah. with like a, a elementary school kid, you know, because back then people had kids younger, I guess. So. Yeah. It's wild. It blows my mind. But also uh, the same mom from the Goonies. Oh yeah, you know who also is recognizable. I totally forgot. Wolfman is played by the guy who plays Uncle Rico, John Grise. Yeah, he's Uncle Rico from uh, um, uh, Napoleon Dynamite. He's also uh, Laszlo, who lives in the like in the closet in the movie Real Genius with uh, mm-hmm. with Val Kilmer. Yep. Uh, he's also, I believe, in the movie The Rundown with The Rock and. Uh, and uh, Sean William yes. Scott. Yes, he is. So, yeah, he's probably the most recognizable, actually, now that I think about it. Um, so I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just watching this movie. And again, like, uh, it's my first time watching it. So I'm like, how did nobody from this movie become more famous from this movie? Because it didn't help Jason Hervey, right? Nobody knows him from Monster Squad. Everybody knows him from one Same with years. Andre Gower, the main character, yeah. who was awesome, but it... He could have been like the Steven Dorf. Yeah. He has that same yeah. kind of vibe. So in every in every like um ensemble cast kind of movie or show where you you know you put in this juxtaposition of all these different characters, there's usually one guy in the crew who's like the the leader, but is usually the most boring, right? Like in comedy, like in the TV show Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld is that character. He's like the least good part of the show. How I Met Your Mother, Ted is the worst character yeah. on the show, main character. Andre Gower plays that part. He's the he's the leader, but he's like he has none of the funny lines. He's but he's the guy who runs the show. Um he's like the pomp of uh, <laughs> the Monster Squad. <laughs> and uh but he does it way better than the other, you know, straight guys you know what i'm saying like or gordo in um uh stand by me is also that character same thing but he plays it really really well um but definitely the least uh memorable because 
that's just the, the part he was he was right so it's you know everyone remembers Horace everyone remembers Rudy um, you know his Andre Gower's best line in the movie is definitely kick him in the nards absolute classic and then once Horace kicks him in the nards he goes oh, Wolfman's got nards yeah it's just it'll stick with me forever yeah that and I'm in the goddamn club aren't I I'm in like, the goddamn club when Rudy says <laughs> So there's a scene where Rudy, the cool guy, right? He's he's like the 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 ultimate cool guy. Not not only is he just the cool guy, he's like he's their protector. Yeah, he he's steps like a, in front of violence for them, and I think that should be recognized more. Yeah, he's just like a like he's like a badass, but he's like a good dude. He like yep. he takes he looks after these kids who are like nerd. He's cool. The rest of them are nerds, right? Like, and he's like the cool guy protecting the nerds from other you know from bullies and, and but then when there's monsters he takes that same role against them and there's a scene where there's like these i guess um like dracula's brides so they're like vampires too but they're all in like white dresses and there's a bunch of them and they're like coming at, they're coming at them and rudy's got like a, a, bow, a crossbow and he's smoking a cigarette of course and he just like I forgot what they say to him, but he goes, "I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I?" And then he just like unloads on these freaking vampires, and it's one of the greatest lines in the movie. Also, in that scene, uh, if you look at the storefronts that the the three vampire brides are, are like floating past, you can see their reflections in the window, and that shouldn't be because they're vampires. Ah, uh, it's a mistake. Look at that. Um, that's a good call out. Um. Overall, the movie had action, comedy, horror, but also had um, like true like human connection, emotion stuff too. There was some, like sweetness to the movie, and probably the the pinnacle of the sweetness in the movie is the relationship that Frankenstein's monster and Phoebe, the five year old, have because one of the greatest things that they wrote into this script, I think, is that. Of all the monsters, so basically, let me let me backtrack. Dracula is like, get like, he's like rounding up all these monsters to like you know do evil stuff and open up a portal to hell basically and like take over, like turn Earth into like hell on Earth. That's like his you know his 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 his, his like master plan. So he's getting all these monsters together: Wolfman, uh, the you know Gillman. Uh, uh, the mummy, the mummy, and Frankenstein. But Frankenstein's like a good dude, and he like doesn't want to be a bad guy. And he ends up befriending Phoebe, this little five year old, and their friendship is like so amazing. It adds a layer of the movie that was necessary. Yeah, you have to have that human like you have to add that, otherwise the movie doesn't hit. It's also classic too, because in the previous, like in the original Frankenstein movies, he always befriended a little girl. Like that, that kind of like proved his humanity. I didn't even know that, but that's that's a that it makes it even better that they play that they they pull that all together, and the way the movie ends, it, they succeed in being able to like open up this portal and send all these um, monsters basically back to hell, and it's really sad though because even though Frankenstein's a a good dude, he's still technically a monster, so he has to go too. And like the that scene is like gut wrenching when Phoebe realizes really that is, Frankenstein's dude. gonna get sucked into the portal like the rest of them, and that that whole moment is like brutal. But uh, 
but necessary. There uh, was a, there was another scene like that too with the scary German guy. So he they were saying like, oh wow, you know a lot about monsters, and he goes, yeah, I guess I do, don't I? And, and he closes the door, and he's got like a Holocaust tattoo on his yep, arm. Yep, that was like such an under. Like you wouldn't notice that as a child, but like as as I got older, I was like, oh, that's deep. Yeah, that is deep, right? Like, cause like it's this movie about like silly like make believe monsters, but like the, the that was like a that was like a, a acknowledgement that there are real monsters in this in this friggin' world, and that guy has seen stuff way scarier than than Dracula, you know. So, all in all, amazing movie inspired a lot of stuff, including. A band called Scary German Guy, guy, which is amazing. So good. Yeah. Scary German Guy is amazing. (laughs) Random anecdote. Remember we were on tour? We met like an old German guy. I do. When we were in Maryland and he like took us to his house and fed us. Bread bread pudding. He fed us bread pudding. We're like, oh my God, this is (laughs) like, this is from Monster Squad, like verbatim. (laughs) The time has come for For more more pie. pie. Did you say scary German guy is bitching? Dude, we, we literally <laughs> called him scary German guy the whole time. Not to his face, though. No. So, all right. That's it. That's our first deep dive. Yeah. We did it. Any other fun facts that we missed out? Um, we left out? No, they just did a couple of like um, like uh, shout outs, I guess. Uh, like when they're pointing at the map and uh, there's a Cheney College as a location. And that's an homage to... Uh, Lon Chaney Jr., who played uh, Larry Talbot in the original Wolfman. Nice. Um, just stuff like that. Like the movie was was pretty solid. Uh, like in the beginning of the the movie on with the plane, it says Browning on the outside of the plane, and Todd Browning directed uh, the Dracula in nineteen thirty one. So uh, they did like little like cool stuff like that uh, throughout the flick, which was nice. That was great. There's that, so much more to the movie than than we caught as six year olds. Yeah, and you know, I think what what made this movie so such a cult classic, it's so amazing, is actually the those attributes are the same thing that made it bomb in the box office. It like it was too it was too complex to to market, and I think that's a shame, but. I'm glad that it's got it's reached its like cult status now. And one of the reasons is like it's a little campy, but it's also scary. It's a little bit comedy, a little bit coming of age story. It's like it's like a, it's like a potpourri of all the best stuff just mushed together. It's like if the three of us decided to make a movie, I feel like our movies would be like Monster Squad. <laughs> yeah. You know, like just put just throw it all in there, smorgasbord. Um. So all right, this was fun. Good job. So go see it. If you haven't seen it, yes, watch the Monster Squad and then write into the show on Instagram. You know, let us know. Did, is it as good as we think it is, yeah. or are we just you know being nostalgic? Let us know who your favorite character is and why it's Rudy. Yeah, because we vote watch it. <laughs> we say this is a watcher. You got to watch 100% it. Hundred percent watch. Is is that what we're gonna do? Like, should we come up with like a rating scale, or is it just like a thumbs up, thumbs down? I think we do a rating scale. That's Ooh. a good idea because we're never gonna we're never gonna do a deep dive on a bad movie. So. Maybe we just rate them. So for now, we're going to just tell you to watch it. Yeah. But keep listening, and we will have a rating scale in place. Let's just do this one out of 10 real quick, and then we could change it for 10's next week. boring. Out of 12. Out of 7. Out of 13. Ooh. Yeah. Let's go to, a, let's go to 11. Let's go to 11. <laughs> yes. Our rating scale goes to 11. Perfect. <laughs>
done. Oh my God, that's oh perfect. Damn it, Eric, you're good. All right, I give it a nine out of 11. Uh, the way it's affected my life, I'm going to give it a nine out of 11. I'm giving it a 7.8. Okay. Nice. All right. And that's from a dude who saw it for the first time in his life at 42. Yeah, like four hours ago. <laughs> four hours yeah. Ago. Love it. Awesome. Good job, guys. Yeah. All right. That's the show. DF Deep Dives. Word. How do we end these? Um, uh, over and out. I don't know. 10 <laughs> 4. <laughs> I think we just say, uh, I just say, can we do like a, can we make like a cool outro song? Yeah. All right. Um, not, not this week though. No, like not now. I'm just saying for like future. Yeah. Shows. Let's do it. Do, 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 do. That's the show.